Welcome to the Friendly Maples Lounge, the podcast all about board games, new and old, weird and fun, and our thoughts and feelings about their playability. I'm your host, Jen Flores. And I'm your host, Chris Ingold. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Welcome to 2024. I don't believe we're already doing a second season, Chris. This is insane. It's been an amazing year, and it seems to have gone by really quickly. And the whole year has gone by really quickly. There's been so much crazy stuff that's been going on. And this last month, uh, we've had a a little bit of a break. There's been a a short sort of space without episodes because we've done things like popping away, spending time with our families, actually playing some games. Uh, Having (laughs) Christmas, you know, all of that. Um, So it's been quite a hectic year, but it's also been quite good to sort of reflect. I fell over the sort of last month and just think how it's gone, you know, how the sort of listening to the podcast has gone, how all the stuff that we've been doing in Melbourne Meeples have gone and what's happened in the game scene. And everything just seems to have been awesome. I mean, there were some phenomenal games. Absolutely. There were definitely some games that came out last year that I was not expecting. And it blows my mind the depths that board games are going to these days, the, the different things that people are thinking of. I'm absolutely loving it. And I guess we we capped off last year by talking about what were our top games for last year, you know, what we played at MeepleCon and how amazing was MeepleCon as well. Like it went off beautifully. We had so many people come there and lots of people come to our podcast live, which was amazing. And now kicking off a new year, what are we looking forward to, Chris? Well, I think that's what, we, uh, what we're going to get to in, in today's podcast. I've put top five together. That was a bit of a struggle. I had to do a bit of shuffling around to put them in some sort of an order, but I've got them in some sort of an order. Uh, Jen, you've got top five ready? I have my top five ready as well. And uh, before we get to our top five that we're looking forward to for the year, though, what have you been playing recently, Chris? (laughs) Okay, so I have well played quite a few games since we last recorded because it's been a a month that, that we've done that. One of the games I was most looking forward to play was the game that I'd played solo only and not multiplayer when we recorded our um top five or was it actually top 10 from last year it was top 10 wasn't it, it was we top did last 10. time we did a full yeah. top 10 uh, so and that was a game called cabula which i finally got to sit down and play over at your house jen and we've had a three-player game that was great fun i finally got to sort of experience the game uh, as, as it was intended to be played you know as a multiplayer game it was Really, really, really interesting. And I know I said in the last pod that I'd put it at number eight in my top 10, but that might move once I played it multiplayer. And I would say that that's probably now my number six from last year. It is a crazy kind of role play game in a box with a whole bunch of fairly stupid humor in it, some of which is very <laughs> clever, some of which is just downright stupid, some of which, if you've got the less suitable for work pack, is just downright vulgar. Um, more of it is clever than you expect. Some of it is dumber than you expect. The gameplay, though, is quite streamlined, but at the same point, much more in-depth than you expect for a game with that kind of humor. And I think this is going to be the thing about this game. You are either going to appreciate that, and I appreciated that because I love that contrast between a quite deep, kind of almost sort of thoughtful game, you've got a few sort of tricky things to work through, and something that at the same point is utterly dumb because it flips you out. You start taking it seriously and planning, and then it throws something utterly stupid in your face and vice versa. And I think if that sounds appealing and it's a small print, a small publisher, then it's something worth looking into. If that doesn't, you may also hate it. Um, (laughs) And what we found in looking at sort of reviews, and I think reception so far, is that it's going to be a a game that divides people. There are people who are either going to love it or they're going to hate it. It's very, very, very well thought out. Um, One review recently has uh, come out from the Board Game Bollocks channel, which I was a little upset by because he missed a bit in the rule book and played the game wrong, but it's a very, very well-written rulebook. Now, quite often this happens when it's a really badly written rulebook. I went and found the bit, and it just says it straight there. So uh, that one, unfortunately, he did make a mistake. But at the same point, I think it probably wasn't a game for him. And you could see that feeling that there was he had an idea of what he wanted the game to be, and it wasn't it. That's so disappointing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And for me, it was the game I was looking for. So I kind of went, oof. And I honestly can't tell you whether you'd like it or not. What I can tell you is that it's unique and that the makers of the game have been brave. And that's not something you normally say. I really want 
I want to play it so bad. And every time that we've had the opportunity to actually play it, something else has come up. And, you know, it was either Crafternoon at my house or we were at Board in the East and you were already playing a game or we're going to have to find a time to play it, Chris, because I really, really, really want to play it. It looks like fun. And Rod was even saying he thought it was a really fun, really silly game that he thinks I'd really like. I think you'd love it, Jan. Uh, it's it's very daft and it's very well done. I think there are a couple of things you could you could say could maybe be done better, but they're mainly actually in the in the art. And to make the art look beautiful, some things are a little bit hard to read. And there's always that battle, you know, in games where they say we're going to have like a really nicely painted board or we're going to make it slightly less decorated in order to make some things more obvious or visible so you know are you up a mountain or down in a river can you see the special powers on your cards without having to squint i found that with one of the games that i've just recently been playing as well which actually really surprised me so as we all know i'm a massive fan of ticket to ride and for christmas i got the ticket to ride legacy game and i absolutely love it the oh my goodness now my brain's gone nuts is it into the west legends of the west legends of the west thank you (laughs) and yeah I've been playing that with my brother-in-law a couple of Rod's friends and we did our first go at the first board in the west of this year and I lost spectacularly And I don't mean I lost by a tiny bit. I literally got $6 in the first game and everybody else was over 30. So I lost the first game spectacularly and then came back hard last night because we had had a couple of rounds last night as well. Um, Came back hard and won the first game with $52. So I was like, screw you guys. I'm not being nice anymore. I'm just going to go hard. Because I was being quite nice during the first game and just being like, oh, you know, I'm being really nice, guys. Would you mind just giving me one more round? And it got to a point where someone just went, no, I'm not doing it anymore. And I was one train off. Like I needed to put down one more train to connect all of my routes because I'd had them all overlapped. And because they cut me off, I got one route out of five. You see, if I was playing Ticket to Ride with you, Jan, and I saw that you were going easy, I would smile quietly on myself and going for the absolute kill <laughs> i was genuinely I think everyone being else would nice too. though <laughs> i know because when are you going to get that opportunity just cut me off and i'm like oh my god screw you guys so yeah i just went hardcore last night and it flipped over because rod ended up finishing the first game with two dollars and i'm like haha sucker you know like <laughs> But I have actually found one component of Ticket to Ride, the the legacy game, the the postcards. Now, I know there are not postcards in normal Ticket to Ride and I'm not going to give too much away, but I actually find the postcards very hard to read because they've done it in a way to make them look pretty, make them really add to the game, but they're not easy to read. Like the text that you need to read out to everybody when you get one is – this very swirly, very small text on a bit of a textured background. And being somebody who is dyslexic I and has cognitive dysfunction, I, I find them very difficult to read. So I really have to sit and sort of read it first before I read it out loud or it just sounds ridiculous. So there's my bit of feedback to uh, – to the makers of Ticket to Ride, please make your board game easier to read. <laughs> it's pretty, but it doesn't function well for people who are dyslexic. So, yeah, apart from that. Um, How many chapters in are you, Jen? Three. We just finished off the third chapter last night and we've got to the part where now we're starting to open things up a bit more. So, Ooh, lovely. I'm loving it. I'm loving it so much. It's it's so good. And I'm loving all the new things that it's making you do. It still feels like Ticket to Ride, but just with some extra flavour going on, which I think is really great. And, yeah, look, apart from that, um, Rod and I went away for the long weekend that's just happened in January and we got to actually play Everdell with some of our friends our plan was to play with all of the expansions and then we realised we hadn't sleeved any of the cards 
from the new expansions that we haven't played yet. So we just ended up playing with um, with the expansions we'd already played with and they'd never played before. So it still ended up being a four-hour game <laughs> just with the three expansions we played with. I And I got introduced to Heat, which is I know one you'd been talking to me about before. Um, definitely a game we're going to have to review in an upcoming episode. What about yourself, Chris? Anything else you've been playing recently? So we played... Now, before Christmas or just before Christmas, we were playing the Fox Experiment. I think we'll probably almost certainly talk about that in a future episode because that's an interesting game. And another one I think is is you can either love it or hate it. Um, I've been playing The Call of Killforth solely because that came through. So I don't know um, if for anyone that's in, who sort of like fantasy quest type games, The Gloom of Killforth was a fantasy quest exploration role-play game in the box from a few years ago and there have been a couple of sequels the shadows of killforth and the call of killforth and call is a bit more piratey in its art and i am a sucker as, as many of you will know for anything piratey so that was an instant buy the killforth game is a lovely lovely core game it's a bit messy but it works neatly and it plays very nicely sort of solo it plays nicely multiplayer as well it is the same game in all three games. Effectively, you're getting a, a different art pack. But the one thing that the company, Hall or Nothing, that make it interesting, Hall, the designer, does is sources possibly some of the most beautiful card art on any games ever. That's what they're known for. So that's why you end up buying the same game for the different art, because just revealing the new art as you go through is, is so gorgeous. So we're playing that. We've played Glenmore 2 again, uh, Board in the East, uh, which is one of my favorite games of all time. Uh, and so that one uh, was was fantastic to uh, to get that one to the table again. And recently played Bamboo. Now I know Jen, you and I had like a turn of Bamboo <laughs> after having like yes. set it up a little bit later than intended, and then I had to run and pick Joe up from the airport. We managed to play between myself and Joe almost a full game of Bamboo before we had to clear it off the table uh, in order that we'd be able to eat breakfast off it the morning after. Look, come on, I need that board game table, uh, game, game way. That's going to be the uh, the big push next to get that in there. But for now, uh, we're still using the dining table while we wait for that table. So Bamboo is a really interesting little game because it is one of those Devere small box games. It looks at the outset like it's really quite complicated. You get through the rules and you start playing and you realize it's not that complicated. You know, you're basically laying out tiles and you get points for where they go. You buy the, uh, you get things that you're trying to score. And if you get that particular combination in your house, then you can score that and you can basically bank the points and you're collecting things from very simple actions. You know, give me something that I put in my house and anything in your house becomes part of the layout in your house. Give me something that I can use as a scoring combo, which gives you a set of instructions for what you need to see in your house. And as you put things in your house, because they're permanent, you can't move them about, then what that does is it restricts what you can pick up in the future. And then you feed your family at the end. You just need to collect enough food to basically accommodate for all the um, blocks in your house. And you do that four times over, and that's the end of the game. So it doesn't seem that complicated, except the way it does all of this is that you are... Picking a set of bamboo sticks that have tiles on them that relate to actions that you then put on the actions in order to trigger the actions, but that allows you to put an inset stick per action onto another pot that allows you to get a power up. And having done that, you then shove those up to shove up the actions you'll be able to use next <laughs> round, which then go up a bunch of bamboo sticks and push them out of sync to get those. At which point you get your scoring tiles. I need to remember that actually the balance in your house and the amount of like comfort points, which is this other scoring on the tiles, makes a difference to whether or not you're going to get loads of negative points because you have to have feng shui balance in your house. And you realize that the to make the decision you want to make you've got to go back about four decisions in your head back again so actually <laughs> in that sense it's, it's quite, quite complicated a and yeah. in that, it reminded me a bit of and i might potentially even mention this subtly later on but it reminded me of a game called feudum feudum is like the heaviest mm. game on my shelves it's it's the one where it would be like no please do go and watch a video if we were going to play it, it sits alongside <laughs> On Mars. It's a, it's a ridiculously heavy game. And that is heavy because it has this thing where you do this and that knocks on an impact over here, that knocks on an impact over there, that knocks on an impact over there. And it's not feudum, right? We're not, we're, we're not talking about a heavy, heavy game, but it has a bit of that. So I'm really curious to play it a few more times because we managed to get through it, but actually working out how to win it on purpose, it's an interesting challenge. I feel like at some point, Chris, we're all going to have to take a week or two of annual leave, find ourselves a house in the Grampians somewhere, 
bring along a bunch of board games, a bunch of food, and just play a bunch. (laughs) Just sit there and, you know, or maybe, oh, hey, you know, the board game cruise we were talking about potentially doing. Maybe we, uh, we need to do this board game cruise and just bring along a bunch of board games and spend a week playing all the games that we keep on saying, I've got to play that. Because I do want to play Bamboo again. It it was fun. Like I was just getting into it when we're like, crap, we got to go. <laughs> well, I'm fortunate enough that I have managed because I've got a little bit of sort of free time just at the moment to, to bank a day's solid gaming on Monday, which so I, I'm very, very much looking forward to because that's uh, that's been, been a while. But yeah, Bamboo is definitely interesting. And that whole, I mean, the stuff that Devia Games are putting out at the moment is just amazing. It's very creative. It takes things that are fairly sort of established game types and just does interesting stuff with them that is interesting. The art on them, in particular, those sort of Japanese-themed games like Bamboo, White Castle, and Butoku are just beautiful. They're really, really, really beautiful just to behold on your table, which is nice. Well, speaking of games that are coming out at the moment, I think we uh, we should get to our top five games that we are looking forward to coming out this year. And, you know, I'm not normally somebody who sits on Kickstarter or Board Game Geek and looks at what's coming. I have a Chris who tells me everything. So, you know what, this this time I was like, I am going to go and I'm going to figure out what's coming up. I've got something coming up in the future as well. Bit of a surprise for now, but uh, watch this space. There's another thing I have coming up where it's talking about games that will be happening in future. But... Chris, why don't you start us off with your number five game that you're looking forward to coming out this year? Okay, so just before I start, I'm going to say how I've done this just to be, uh, because I I had to put a bit of thinking into what I'm going to include and what I'm not going to include. So what I've done is I've not included any expansions. I've not included anything I've already played. So there is at least one game, uh, there's probably a couple of games that could have gone on this list, but I've already played them in some form. So, you know, playtesting, whatever it is, and, and therefore I know how they play. So what I'm going on for stuff that I, that I don't know and that I'm anticipating, but I can potentially sort of reflect on some of those as we go. So my number five game is by the designer of the aforementioned Feudum. And I really hope this isn't a game that becomes the heaviest weighted game on Board Game Geek along with Feudum, because... If it is, it's really, really done something quite weird with its design. So this game is called Fled. And Fled is a game about escaping a Victorian prison. And it's got a tile-based map where you're putting tiles out to try and get out of this prison and you're trying to run away from the prison gardens. Looks like a fairly fun throwaway, run away from the guards type rollicking game. I'm sure it'll have something a bit weird in it, but it looks like the opposite of Feudum. It looks like something quite playful, but it's from the same designer, Mark Swanson, and it has that wonderful quirky art. So if you ever just just, uh, Google Feudum or Google sort of flared the board game, you'll see his quirky style on there. And it just looks like great fun. I love games that involve putting maps together, like, you know, Betrayal or so for that, where you're sort of revealing the map as you go and you're not quite sure where it's going to come out. That's always been something that appeals to me. Um, Absolutely massively you know give give me a good map and i'm sold so i really want to like fled um whether or not it is going to be like a betrayal cross with feudum or whether or not it's going to be like bandido but with little wooden minis i honestly don't know so it's a, i just looked at it and i'd say it looks cool the design is a little bit bonkers in the way that his mind works i think it's got a real live whistle in it because uh the designer of uh, feudum is also a bit of a fan of um, slightly bonkers components and i think and i apologies if i'm wrong on this one i think i saw evidence that the game might actually include a whistle i.e a guard's whistle uh, it's probably just a first player marker but i don't care but put a nice guard's whistle in a game it's still quite cool so my number five fled my number five, I've um, constructed these as well, similarly to Chris, in that none of these are games that I've played. I actually haven't included ones that are new on Kickstarter. I've only included ones that I've seen are actually coming out this year rather than ones that have been promised to come out this year but may or may not. We all know what the shipping delays are like. So 
my list is pretty much going from Board Game Geek, looking at what is expected this year. I did actually have a quick look at Fled and went, oh, that one looks interesting, but it did not make my top five. But one that did, because I'm a bit of a fan of the game that this is obviously coming from. Now, I don't believe this is an expansion. I believe this is a standalone new version of a game that I actually really love, which is Blueprints of the Mad King Ludwig. Looking at this game, now, little sidestep, I really love Railroad Inc. For some reason, railroad games, they really appeal to me. You know, things that are traveling and connecting and there's a lot of logic involved. I love those kind of games. Blueprints of the Mad King Ludwig looks like it's a bit of a mixture of Castles of the Mad King Ludwig (laughs) and Railroad Inc, where instead of picking up tiles and placing them, you're actually drawing out your components. And, you know, I'm a bit of an artist myself. Anything that makes me pick up a pen or a pencil and, you know, get on in there and draw something as well, that's always going to keep me happy. And I love a game where you know, you really can be a little bit more creative with what you're doing. It it just looks super, super cool. Like I really want to give it a go. It, the components look very familiar, but this new little twist of draw out your own map, put in your own flavour, here's a bunch of colour pencils, appeals to the little visual person in me so much. Have you heard about it, Chris? I haven't, no. And what I found myself thinking about was cartographers, I think, first, because cartographers, which I also haven't played, but I've seen friends play regularly, has that thing where you're building out some kind of map of an empire or whatever. Is is it, do you think it's similar to cartographers? Yes. Any of those little games where it's sort of like roll and roll and write or, you know, this one seems to be more of a, a draw and write, as in like draw a card. And which I thought was a really interesting way of doing it rather than a roll and write. So, yeah, kind of like cartographers, any of those types of games where you're you're drawing your own map out, it has all those kind of components to it. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how it goes because I think there's a lot of people I know who I've tried to play Castles of the Mad King Ludwig with them and they're just like, yeah, this game's a bit too crazy for me. I, I don't really like how the components go together. It, it's a little bit locked in as to how you play it. Not necessarily one that's replayable over and over again if you've played it a couple of times for some people. But this one I can see being replayable a lot more because it's got a lot more flexibility to it. So, yeah, I think really great way of taking a classic game and making it a bit different and appealing to a different audience. And that definitely doesn't sound like just another version of Castles of Mad Clint Woodwick at all, or, or even between two Castles of Mad Quick Mudwick. That's a completely different game. It sounds like right? the other game I've got in my head is Mindspace, which had a little bit of fun when we were teaching it at MeepleCon because the copy that we thought we had disappeared and we had to go and sneakily get another one donated by the by the wonderful Mind Games. But that has that thing where you've got card drawn, almost like Tetris pieces, polyominoes that you're then mm. painting on your brains in different colours and so forth, except that you've got this little brain map. But this is going to be more extensive, isn't it? Because you're building a castle. You're not just putting in like a, a few Tetris piece shapes on your brain. Yeah, no, it's definitely more extensive. I tried to avoid games that uh, that were only just going uh, on, onto Kickstarter. And Fled was the exception that I made, partly because it looked small enough that I thought this should actually be able to deliver this year. But I kept thinking, isn't this going to go on Kickstarter in a moment? And I'm not convinced that it will do, uh, to be honest. So I, I think I slightly failed when I was cutting and chopping my, my games around. Out of the others, I think two of them are semi-guaranteed to deliver this year. One of them is definitely guaranteed to deliver this year. Uh, one of them I think will deliver this year, and the other one is going to be absolutely to the wire. I think it will deliver to somebody this year, but whether or not the Australians get it this year is another question. Um, <laughs> so my number four is definitely delivering this year. The reason I know it's definitely delivering this year is I received the dispatch notification this morning uh, recording, and by the Woo-hoo! time the podcast is out, if you back this on Kickstarter, you should have your copy, which is... Harrow County. 
So oh. Harrow County is the next game or the second big game from Off the Page Games, who are the publisher uh, sort of led by Jay Cormier that set themselves up to take classic, well, not classic, really, really, really interesting, innovative graphic novel properties and IPs and try and make games that are super, super, super thematic to them. And their first game, Mind Management, is absolutely this. I'm a big fan of the Mind Management comic. Uh, I love the uh, Mind Management game, which is a sort of hidden movement game. And the things that they've done to what is a basic, simple hidden movement game to make it fit with the Mind Management theme are mind-boggling. It's just fantastic. It does that in a way that I've never seen a game do before. And so Harrow County, the graphic novel or the, the comic book series is a kind of horror setting. It's kind of in deep Americana uh, where you've got these different fights between these sort of haints and sort of ghouls and then the, the, the people on the farm and then you've got the fair folk and so on. Um, I've yet to read any Harrow County. Um, I had some digital copies come with the Kickstarter, which I haven't looked at because I've actually got a physical copy of my bookshelf downstairs waiting until I finish the thing I'm reading at the moment and then I'm going to dive into it. But this game looks fascinating and it's an obvious kind of right looking forward to it because it's the next off the page game. It could be brilliant. It could be an absolute nightmare and never hit the table for me or anyone else because they've really gone out there with this one. So one of the things that off the page games do is they, they take a fairly abstract game concept to start with and then add flavor to it. And I think some of the more abstract games have been sort of designed outside of the realm of which comic we're going to go to, and then they've been latched. And actually, that works if you've got a very abstract game, because you can build on it. For Harrow County, they've done something quite creative. They have what's basically a two-player asymmetric game, but a little bit like Roots, I think, in its, its flavor. It's a combat game. They call it a game of gothic conflict. There are ways that you can play it three-player and ways that you can play it four-player with the full set, with like four asymmetric characters. It's got a weird cube tower built into the box so that effectively you take the lid off the box and then you can basically put cubes down a funnel and they get caught somewhere in this box tower and come out to, to help manage the combat. And it's got chapters, oh, which that's is not nuts. something I'm usually a fan of because you were trying to work out what is the actual full game. So you've got kind of learning games you can go through to try and progress through it. But then the issue is if somebody just wants to say, well, I just want to play the full game once, what do you do? Apparently that's chapter three. So it could be phenomenal it will definitely be different and it will definitely be interesting those two things are just just like go without saying whether or not it is something that's easy to teach and easy to table i'm going to find out very soon because the thing should land uh, if not tomorrow it should land monday or tuesday so i will be reporting back on that in a future podcast but is it beautiful is it exciting does it have some of the most stunningly gorgeous art of any game ever because it's one of the off the page games of course it does so that has to be my number four Well, I think uh, number four spots are clearly taking on a bit of a a geographical naming thing happening here because my number four spot is also a geographical game. So this one was one I just had a really quick look at and went, oh, that looks pretty, and then skipped over it. And then I came back and really read over it a bit more and went, actually, that sounds really interesting. So my number four is French Quarter and... This one, it's set in New Orleans, it, or New Orleans, sorry, set in New Orleans, and it's about New Orleans. navigating this New Orleans, sorry, New Orleans. New Orleans, <laughs> New Orleans. <laughs> well, they're calling it NOLA, so set in NOLA. NOLA, I think. <laughs> it's just, oh, my God, NOLA always makes, makes me think of people that call Frankston Franger, you know, like... <laughs> I know it's a completely different context, but uh, I know a lot of my friends in the US call it NOLA as well, and it just it makes me giggle. So this game is about going out on a wild night in New Orleans and navigating yourself around the city and having the best time. And I was just like, that sounds absolutely amazing. So you go off on your own, you have a great night, you reunite with your friends at the end of the game, and you compare notes and swap stories on all the fun, amazing things that you did. You have to navigate around the city, either walking, taking a carriage ride, in a taxi, in a streetcar, there's even riverboats. And I was like, this game could be super, super exciting and amazing or an absolute mess. And I'm always up for a bit of chaos. So I'm really keen to get my hands on a copy of this now because I love a good travel game. Like I've got Takedo and there's another one. 
I believe, coming out, which is Journey Around Japan or Trip Around Japan or something that I saw. And I look normally big, big Japan fan, can't wait to go there sometime. Almost went for that one instead of this one, but French Quarter to me just sounds a little bit more exciting. Uh, it sounds a little bit more chaotic. And the last line of the description, after eight hours of gallivanting about town, players compare their stories and results to see who had the most memorable night in NOLA. And I'm like, yeah, I'm in. I'm absolutely in. And the components look so pretty. So I love New Orleans. Um, it's one of my f- well, it really is my favourite place in the whole world uh, that, that I've visited. It's my favourite city in the world. And the I love the French Quarter in New Orleans. Uh, and you know, especially when it's sort of buzzing and, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's sort of music everywhere. I saw this and I, it's, it's not on my list partly because it's a roll and write. And I'm not as big on Roland Wright, so I uh, so I sort of left it left it off for that reason. It's interesting. There's been a couple of New Orleans themed games coming out next year as well, isn't there? Because there's the Dark Water as well, which is the kind of follow up to Destinies. And Destinies is a bit weak, uh, but it's got support now from Van Ryder Games, who made Final Girl and um, Detective City of Angels. I think there's a bit more thematic expertise gone into the team over at Lucky Duck for Dark Quarter. So it'd be really interesting to see where that goes. But I looked at French Quarter and I think it was only because like it was, uh, you know, it was a roll and write that I kind of said, well, that's probably not for me. But immediately looking at it, I was kind of like, you know, I want to be back there. <laughs> be wandering the uh, wandering the streets of New Orleans, though I noticed that the look of it is very kind of like brightly colourful. Whereas one of the things about wandering around New Orleans is, uh, in particular, don't live there, is that it's full of sort of excitement music. It's best at night um, and all of that stuff. Uh, you also kind of got to be quite careful, especially <laughs> it's not it's not somewhere that you just kind yes. of like wander, wander around blase. I've been once to New Orleans, and my partner at the time would not leave my side at all. He's like, absolutely not. You are a small redhead Australian. Someone's going to take advantage of you. Like (laughs) he was absolutely glued to me. So I had the best time there possible being escorted by a six foot six dark haired metalhead. (laughs) Yeah, I think I was probably very safe because of that. But um, yeah, I, I understand entirely what you mean. It, yeah, it's very cool place though. So definitely um, want to get my hands on a copy and we'll have to have a game, Chris. Fantastic. If I will have to get that and actually get that and Dark Quarter because Dark Quarter, again, not on my list. Mm. I don't know if it's on this, but it, that is also due out in 2024. So it'd be quite interesting is to actually uh, play the two games back to back, have a New Orleans themed it would be. sort of game yes. session. Okay, so my... Number three is a game by a designer who I know of previously from having designed really only sort of solo games and solo puzzle games at that action. And uh, so he designed a solo puzzle game called The Relics of, uh, can I say this, Rajavihara. Rajavihara. The Relics of something, right? But it's basically a slidey block puzzle game, like those old kind of like Nintendo computer games where you get little like um, wooden blocks with stickers on them and you literally shove them sideways like that. And each round can take X amount of time and, and it comes with a whole bunch of bonus puzzles and stuff. And the bonus puzzles are the real game because the puzzles in the main game uh, are easy to get you ready for doing the hard ones. Um, but this thing was just really, really, really good fun. And I started with it, and I was kind of, whatever, and I ended up going through the whole lot. I just had it by the side of me, by my desk. If I needed to think about something, I'd just do one of these. And they were really elegantly designed by designer Joe Slack, who also, I think, writes, I think he teaches game design as well, professionally, in his, in his day job. He is putting out his first, is that his first multiplayer game? Might not be quite because there's a game called uh, uh, sort of 14 Frantic Minutes or something like that. It's on a timer that is uh, that may also, I think, be a multiplayer game. But he's generally done stuff that's more solo oriented. He's putting out a game which looks like it has some of the spirit of something like Relics of Rajavihara, but it's a multiplayer game and it's called Mayan Curse. And so that one is, uh, is something that I am really excited to play. It's went on Kickstarter... I think probably about three months ago. So likelihood of coming out in 2024 would typically be pretty low currently because very few things are meeting their uh, one-year uh, sort of rating. However, his track record 
of delivering stuff on time or early is also very good. And I think a lot of it is whether or not a designer has actually finished designing their game at the point they put it on crowdfunding. I think for Joe Mm. Slack, there's a good chance that he has. So right now, I have a reasonable amount of confidence that that one is going to to arrive bang on time. It seems to be reliable like that or very, very, very close. Uh, So I was comfortable putting it on the list. If you like puzzly games, slideboard games, basically like puzzly games, full stop. Anything by Joe Slack is great, but uh, this this looks like a lot of fun. So I'm very, very much looking forward to it. That's Mayan Curse. That sounds very cool. I'd love to have a look at that one when it comes through. Well, my number three, and I'll be surprised if you don't have this on your list, is a game that I read through the description and went, Oh my God, I think Chris would absolutely love this game. It's also a puzzle game. I think we have something uh, something weird going on here, Chris, where we're picking similar style games. It's a message from the stars. And I initially sort of scrolled over it and went, nah. And then I came back again, kind of like French Quarter. I came back again and read it and went, Holy crap, that's amazing. I love my unlock games. I love my puzzle games in general. And this one is a team of scientists seeks to decipher cryptid messages from an extraterrestrial civilization. And I went, oh, I'm in. (laughs) I'm absolutely in. It's about deciphering hidden puzzles and messages and relaying messages back and forth between yourself and some aliens who doesn't love a bit of sci-fi? So it's not on your list, is it? I can tell by the look on your face you missed this one. I've not, I wasn't aware of it. Wait, I surprised you with a game? No. I, I've not heard of it. I had not seen it before. I just looked it up and gone, oh, what's that? I had no idea. It looks amazing. I was like, oh, my goodness. I looked at it and just went, hell yeah. There's a video game. It'd be interesting to see how it compares because I, I haven't played through it all. I, I, I must confess. Uh, so, so, sorry to my brother for that. But the my brother's company, my brother's a video game developer, and so he had designed a game that was really well received, won a bunch of awards, but it didn't do too well commercially because I think it was maybe a little bit too um, uh, too cerebral uh, for the uh, and kind of the focus wasn't quite right for the. Uh, platform that it went on originally because it went out originally on a playstation game called heaven's vault and that was about traipsing through as an archaeologist through this old civilization and finding and piecing together all these little bits of old language and trying to learn a story through finding all these little language you need to find effectively like a a, a different kind of language and you didn't necessarily know that you were going to get it all right that might be different here there might be an answer to this and i think within heaven's vault there was a little bit of ambiguity allowed in there that you were sort of working through to get that sort of balanced Uh, but i remember sort of puzzling through that and looking at the description it seems like a probably a more concise version of a similar idea that you're trying to piece together you know get the hidden code but no that's the sort of thing i would absolutely adore but i hadn't seen it you've got one over on me there i'm surprised hell yes like the first time ever that i've known about a game coming out before you have chris but yeah i just was like it looks like a fairly quick game now to be fair we know how this goes it says two to eight players in 45 minutes which tells me quick party game but i think this one could just be a lot of fun for you know even an end of night, just chilling around at the end of Bunny Con, going, what are we going to do? Let's try something a bit fun and silly. I can see this game with particularly our group of friends being ridiculously fun and silly. So I really, I really want to give it a go. I want to get my hands on a copy. I don't remember when it said, when is this one coming out? I'll find out, but I think it was coming out fairly early in the year. And I was like, yes, we, we need to get a hold of a copy of this for sure. It may even already be out. We're going to find so, it. We're going to get a copy. So one of the things I think I could look through because there's some videos out here, aren't there, which can have a CC how it plays that because I'm just looking at the BGG page and I can't see whether it's a, a game with a set of almost pre-canned missions that you do once you've done them, you've done them, or whether it's actually something that 
even if it has got pre-canned stuff, has so many of them, like something like Awkward Guests or like something like The Search for Planet X, where it's like all cryptid or something, where it's a deduction game. Uh, and actually there's a gazillion combinations that you can play. And it becomes more about, you know, the fun mm. and the silliness of it uh, rather than any sort of story behind it. But I'm really curious to have a look. So I'm going to watch some videos on that later on uh, and find out more. It looks insane. I was just like, yes, this is this is going to happen. Well, my number two and one, I'm definitely not going to get one back over you on number two. And I'm probably not on number one either, but it's, it's possible. But number two, you will definitely have heard of. May even be on your list. In fact, I'm going to flip this around. If my number two is not on your list, I will be gobsmacked. So my number two <laughs> is a game that has pretty good confidence for coming this year. Uh, it's been on Kickstarter a while, and it's the kind of game that, quite frankly, it's it's a bit odd that it hasn't gone straight to retail and they've done a Kickstarter at all. Um, I've not backed it because I'll, so I'll either pick it up in retail or I'll play your copy, Jen, or we'll pick one up together because I suspect we may well end up playing this one together. It's the legacy version of one of our favorite games and i never played the first legacy version so i can always go straight ahead to the second legacy version it is clank legacy 2 i haven't played the first one i just know that i would love it and so they really have to drop a ball for this not to be brilliant i didn't actually put it on my list surprisingly and <sighs> mainly because i promised myself last year i was not going to kickstart any games and I broke that rule already, <laughs> so I was like, "No, I can't. I can't break it again by kickstarting another one." But as definitely, when that one comes out, I'm up for playing it. Like the first Clank Legacy was so hilarious. I'm really like, I'd be happy to play it again, and that'd be the third time we'd be playing Clank Legacy one. So I'm really looking forward to this one as well when it drops the Clank Legacy two because it's it, they're such good games. Like I like the Clank game so much that we even bought Wild Tiled West because it was by the same designer and it's got that same kind of fun feel, you know. It's, they're such good games. There's something about the system and it's that simple sort of way that like a, a good solid deck building system, you can build so much onto it and you can kind of extend onto it that they lend itself, uh, lend themselves really strongly to that sort of legacy setting. And I was, I've been getting really into the Quest for El Dorado uh, which I only discovered when I was teaching at a MeepleCon and I've now got all the uh, expansions for. And the the way that <laughs> that one can quite playfully extend out without really becoming many much more complicated, it, you just can kind of build on it and build on the sort of the, the rhythm of the engine. And it's subtly different to the way Clank works in terms of the way its deck building works. So actually, they're, you know, they all get quite similar sort of at, at the end of the day. It's probably more elegant, more tight, more refined. You've got a smaller pool of cards to go for, and there's a little bit more variation on the board. And Eldorado and Clank is, is, is different. I can see Eldorado Legacy working really well, but I'd also see that it would struggle because Clank Legacy got there first for that sort of game. But it's just such a, it's such an easy-to-expand-upon mechanism, right? You know, they can play yeah. with so many ideas. And, and so the, if they don't get it really right, then I'm sure they've missed a ball somewhere because there's loads and loads and loads of uh, of innovation that can still be kind of plumbed in, in in that and plumbed that's not a word there's loads of ways they can be innovative that they probably haven't even done yet in clank legacy one and i say this not having played clank legacy one and just knowing that people think it's the best legacy game ever so really i should anyway that was my number two we'll see whether or not that is on either of our top games of 2024 at the end of the year when we played it i think it will be I do think it will be on the end of the year list for sure. So my number two is the one rule I broke last year of not backing a Kickstarter game, only because when I saw this one come out, I went, oh, my God, this game is just, it's me to a T. It's everything I love and adore about sitting around with a group of friends and having a bit of a nibble, and it's uh, charcuterie, the board game. <laughs> I just looked at it and went, oh, my God, it's too cute. It's got to be funny. It's, yeah, like I said, the one game I did actually kickstart last year, which is probably the silliest game to have kickstarted because it just looks absolutely ridiculous. It looks like a really quick, funny little game, a little bit along the lines of something like Steam Up where, you know, it's just a, a fun food-based game that probably doesn't have a lot of substance to it, but 
I love those games sometimes, just the cute little silly ones that you can just throw out and teach people how to play, kind of like Burger Up. Burger Up's a great game. I think it's really underrated because it is really simple. Everybody can catch on to it. Everybody loves a good burger, you know, unless, I mean, no, even most dietary requirements can even be accommodated in a burger. But, yeah, charcuterie, it it looks cute, fun little game components to go with it, a little bit silly, but my my number two because it's my my one thing I did actually kickstart last year. That one did look beautiful. You won't be able to do your salami roses with it, will yeah. you? <laughs> At least not without irreparable damage. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, I, might, I might have to just have a charcuterie with my charcuterie. Does that have an incredibly pimped up version or is it just sort of one straight ver- oh, yeah. forward version? Because uh, I was looking at it, I was trying to say I, the art is so gorgeous. I couldn't work out whether or not it was actually giving you the opportunity to have wooden boards. I think it's really nicely done art, but I do think for the kickstart version, they were doing a deluxe version with some slightly nicer pieces. But I could also be mistaken. But even if you just look at the base, but oh no, Chris, you're wrong. It does have a salami rose in it. That was one of the reasons that I was like, oh, it's so cute. It's got its own salami rose already. It's got a salami rose. No way. It has a salami rose. It's hilarious. I just went, yeah, no, I I need to do this game because we can't have a game with salami roses on their charcuterie board there without me owning it. Absolutely. (laughs) No. I missed that. I saw the the main picture of it and that had uh, the salami rose just sat there in the middle of it. And here was me thinking that you'd be having to like take the bits of cardboard and bend them around the edge of the wine glass to make them. But no, you get one (laughs) pre-cut. And so I think you'll have to have some house rules about bonus points for the uh, salami rose to just beef up the power of that. Absolutely. (laughs) Fantastic. So my number one, both my number two and my number one are both campaign games. I'm actually sick of campaign games as a principle. They are difficult to table. However good they are, you often end up just getting two or three steps into them because you can't quite find the right time to do it. If you get lucky, like we did with the Chartstone, which is not the best campaign game by any means, but both me and Joe liked it. So we managed to play through all the Chartstone and it just stayed out on the table for ages while we played it. And so we did actually get to the end of it, but there's a lot of campaign games where they don't or end up playing them solo. And so in general, I've been kind of going, right, I'm going to stay away from campaign games. However, there's also when the designer of my favorite game of all time, Zaya Legends of a Drift System, does a campaign game. And that campaign game is incredibly ambitious. It's going to run a year late and it's currently due. It was originally due this last September. It's now due next December. And I think it may flip into January, but at least it's at the point where it's roughly complete. They've just got to do a lot of manufacturing. It is effectively been built, I think, as Zelda, the board game. It has that kind of explorable maps thing where you're literally building out maps in all possible uh, ways you can imagine. It has these pre-painted miniatures of all the little animals and all the little kind of characters where they can have different bodies and different heads and you can stick the heads in the bodies to make little combined people. It is definitely a bit on the silly side, just as Zyre is a bit on the silly side. He describes the mission of all the characters in the game to go around collecting these little things that are generally pointless, but everyone seems to think they have value, which is what you do in video games. It has, I think, a sense of love and whimsy that will carry it above just about everything else. He's got the guy who um, helped with the expansion desire uh, working with him on the project, uh, which is also fantastic because I think that adds a little bit more rigor to that kind of creativity that goes there. The game from Far Off Games is Iridia, The Paths We Dare Tread. And this, if it is great, will be absolutely fantastic. And I'm really hoping I can sell Joe on it, even though it's got like a bit of a sort of like traditional sort of fantasy uh, sort of steer to it. And even though it's dropped one of the rules that I was most excited about, and I I think they've not quite dropped it, they've slightly expanded it, but there's a thing called role play points. And originally when they talked about the game, the idea was that if you're playing in multiplayer, then 
if you come across a scenario where there's a role play thing, they can sort of like have a conversation with you. And if you happen to ask the right questions, you'll, as a team, get a little bonus point. But you're not supposed to reveal what those questions are. I think they've made it a little bit more, you can just have the points, you know, for doing the action rather than having something like that, because that's not comfortable for everybody. Not everyone likes the kind of improv side. I do quite like the improv side. I think you have to kind of do that and set the conversations up. But there's that kind of real warm silliness. I'd encourage anyone who hasn't seen it to just take a look at the ambition in there because you've got all these different weird map combinations, all these different pieces. The whole thing has just um, been done so playfully that I've been looking forward to it for the whole of last year. Um, I'm looking forward to it for the whole of this year. Until it lands and until we played it, that's going to be my most anticipated game, hands down. So that's it, Iridia. Jen? That's one I think we briefly spoke about. Maybe it was at BunnyCon. And I think we were playing something and you said, I've got a game that's supposed to come in at the end of this year, but I don't think it will. And I'm really looking forward to it. That would have been the one. Apart from, yeah, probably. So this one I'm fairly certain... I'm actually kind of surprised it's not on your list, but when you said, oh, I didn't include anything I playtested, I went, oh, okay, that makes sense then. My number one is one that I think has been a little controversial because some people have gone, oh, my God, that sounds absolutely amazing, and some people have gone, I'm so sick of playing the game that this is based on. I'm just over it. Everybody's been raving on about it for years and years and years, and it's time to move on with something completely different. But it's Wormspan. I'm really looking forward to Wormspan because I'm a massive dragon nut and give me anything with a bit of fantasy and fun. And I loved Flamecraft when it came out. I haven't got myself a copy of that yet either. But Wormspan looks amazing. And I know it's very much based on the mechanics of Wingspan, but it's dragons. How can you not be excited about a game that's all about collecting dragons and attracting dragons to your cave and breeding dragons and having more dragons and it just looks so cute like looking at even just the pictures of it on bgg oh the little eggs they're speckled they're adorable you know the the artwork in it just looks beautiful like i'm excited it's pretty, it's dragons, it's fantasy, it's Wingspan is one of the games I really love to play. Like it's a very rare that someone says, hey, do you want to play Wingspan and I'll turn it down. I mean, you've playtested it, haven't you? I playtested the solo mode. So I'm always a bit careful about talking about games that are forthcoming that I've playtested and in particular with the Stonemaier ones because you know they have sort of review embargoes in play. They're very, very careful that they want to have commentary about the game coming out that reflects the games it's published and so on. So there are sort of limitations into what I can and, and, and should say about that, or were at least until this podcast is recorded. My copy of Worms Fan will be appearing at some point in the in the coming weeks. And the game, when I first received the playtest prototype and the call to action to test it so about a year ago, my first reaction was not so much, oh, it's another sort of like adaptation of Wingspan, it was the first thing was, that's an interesting name. I think everyone's had a bit of fun with the name because they want to make it start with a W, but Worm is... Not everyone immediately associates that with something unless you're a bit of a dragon nut. And it's dragons. And as you know, I'm not very much of a traditional fantasy person. So where everyone else was going, yay, dragons, I went, oh, bloody hell, dragons. That was my first reaction. <laughs> Then I printed out the whole thing and then I started working through the game and seeing how it had changed and adapted to seeing how it evolved. And obviously my feelings on it at the moment are entirely based upon that prototyping journey, but the game is now out in the wild, the review embargoes are done, so I'll find out how it plays with the real components. But the fact that I have decided that I want a copy on my shelf as well should tell you that I liked it because obviously I've got Wingspan and most of the expansions to Wingspan, I don't have the Asia one, but I have all the rest. And I played a lot of Wingspan. We like Wingspan. So, you know, would we want to play Wormspan? Uh, especially since I prefer birds to dragons. Joe prefers birds to dragons. We're not a big dragon house. We don't like Flamecraft particularly. I have Flamecraft and it's great for board in the East and I can see why it appeals, but I'm done with Flamecraft already. Wormspan is, and this is where some of the reviewers have come in and said the same thing and lots of people are going, Ugh. 
begrudgingly, because I prefer birds, it is a better game. Based upon what I've tested, based on what I've done, obviously there's a cult of the new and everything when you're playing something and it's a little bit fresh, but to that it's a better game. And that's no slight on Wingspan. That's just to say that it's refined a few things and the elements that it's brought in as a game are ones that are generally appealing for, for, for me as well. So there's the things like the putting the cave cards down feels a little bit like almost bringing a little bit of Caverna into Wingspan. And oh, I can I see like why Joe Caverna. would like that. <laughs> yeah, like, I know you like yeah, it too. Yeah. When I was first told about it, Rod walked up to me in the lounge room and said, hey, babe, have you heard about Wormspan? Now, my brain didn't go W-Y-R-M. My brain went W-O-R-M. And I went, oh, come on, that's got to be an April Fool Day thing. You know, like this, this is a joke. Nobody's doing a game about worms. What is it like your compost and see how many worms, like who gets the longest worm and the worm with the weirdest shaped head. And he's like, no, no, worm span. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm pretty sure it was like 11 o'clock at night, had a full on day. And then he showed me the picture and I was like, oh my God. I wanted. I had heard nothing else about it, just saw the picture that's going to be on the front of the box and went, I need that game. Absolutely. So I think that's a big review coming from you, Chris, saying that you think it's better than Wingspan, especially when you don't like dragons. I'm even more excited about it now. It's got more of a more gaminess to it. The art is fantastic from what I've seen. So on the, you know, when, when you playtesting uh, you get like differing degrees of high fidelity depending sort of who you might be working with it's always a masterclass for game designers to see how lo-fi stonemaier can keep a game and get it tested and really really well because the, the, the games are tested really really well it shows you not to go any further than you need to but one of the things they had done was they'd done a bunch of the art. So about half the dragons had like different dragons on them. When we got the playtest copies, about half of them had this little generic yellow dragon that just went like this kind of, and most of the hatchling dragons were kind of like, they were like, like pulling this little kind of like uh, <laughs> get up and go kind of um, uh, sort of pose. They were really sort of like jolly little dragons, but you know, it did, it did the job and they looked sort of dragony. One of the things I remember on playtesting one of the wingspan expansions, which had the concept whether the bird was facing in one direction or another direction they sent it out for playtest with no art but they had to have the art looking one way or the other because you had to know which direction the bird was facing in so there's kind of like comedy like beat pointing this way like scruffy beat pointing that way but the game itself i think adding those cave cards and adding that sense of kind of like building that landscape has that bit more to it and there are ways that you can then up and bank your turn so you can kind of find ways where you can give yourself extra actions in like future rounds and bank stuff and flex stuff about a bit and that it gives it more depth it feels and this is the most important thing it feels like wingspan in terms of how it plays but it also feels less like wingspan and probably more more like a deeper weightier sort of euro game and that is nice so i liked wormspan a lot despite the dragons and you couldn't really do it with the birds and have the cave exploration. So the dragons are fine in that sense. And, you know, I think they've done a really, really good job. And I think what is impressive is the respect they've put into producing a, effectively a, a sort of a, a game that expands on an existing franchise, but really does the job of saying, we're not just going to throw out the same thing, rethemed. We are going to build on it. We're going to develop something new. And the same thing I think happened with... Um, uh, like if you look at 51st State to Imperial Settlers to Imperial Settlers Empires of the North, there was a bigger mechanical difference, I think, between Imperial Settlers and Empires of the North than there was between 51st State and Imperial Settlers. But I think that this Wormspan does a better job of really taking that forward than those other games did, even though Empires of the North is fantastic, partly because they've brought in a different designer with a different thought process to work with the original designer from development to work with Jamie as well as a developer. And you do that and pull those people together 
and you create something with a different feel because you've got different people involved. And I think that's maybe a good clue as to maybe for other publishers, if Wormspan succeeds and does well, which I think it will, that might be a good tip for how to extend their existing franchises and be able to keep that whilst keeping the game fresh is, is actually finding ways to pull different people into that. And Jen, you will love it. That's the one thing that I do know, hands down from everything that I've seen of it, from, from what I've done, albeit not the full published version. The fact that you would love it was inevitable from the moment I started playing it. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait even more now. Well, that's our top five games each for what we're looking forward to in 2024. I don't believe we had no overlap. That's insane, Chris. Usually we do have at least a little bit of overlap on our games. Did anything just miss your list? Yeah, but it was Donut Shop. <laughs> donut Shop. No, that wasn't Only on because it was a little game that I looked at and went, oh, that's kind of cute. It's a little bit sushi go. It's, I love a good donut. Like I'm always a big fan of Daniel's Donuts. But I kind of went, oh, I think it's a little too simple. I definitely think there's some much better games coming out next year. There's definitely a few that I looked at and went, oh, it's a Kickstarter that might not come out this year. So Clank actually is one of the ones that I almost put on the list and then went, no, I'm not going to because having already played Clank Legacy 1, I absolutely love it. I think it's very, very cool. I can't wait to play Clank Legacy 2, but I wanted something fresh. And these are all games that are completely new, completely fresh, um, probably except for Wormspan. (laughs) That's probably the closest one that I went to, like, it's something that's already come out and it's a new twist on it. But yeah, like, we've got a lot to look forward to this year. I think Wormspan counts if Clank Legacy 2 counts. In fact, I suspect there's just as much difference and variety in there, uh, but we don't oh, know yet. Absolutely. We'll find out. The one crossover that I thought we'd have until I bumped off my top five when I was I kept juggling it about because I had like seven or eight and then chopped the bottom three off was Tiny Laser Heist. Oh, did you back oh, that in the no, end Rod or not? Was telling me about that. No. So Tiny Laser Heist was almost on my list. That one was close down. The other one that was really close to coming on, and if I'd taken Fled off, because Fled might not deliver in 24, then Endeavour Deep Sea would have been the other one that I'd have put on, mm. which is uh, that, that's uh, kind of the sequel to Endeavour Age of Sail. Another interesting one that's coming up but wasn't on my list because thematically I'm, I just don't know, but will definitely be one to watch, is Arcs, which is the next game from the leader games team and Cole World, so who made Root and then Oath. So it's their kind of like spacey type game. And the art doesn't pop as obviously as with mm. those other two games, but at least not on the Kickstarter pages and so on, but in practice, I'm sure it will do when it appears. So I'm curious to see what that is like. It's a little bit away from my radar, partly because you know I'd love to play Oath, but actually I haven't played enough Root yet to really appreciate it. I know played enough Root to know that I love it. I want to play more of it. But those were the other backup games. I left off anything that was a that was a reprint as well, even if I didn't already know the game. So like on Kickstarter, I've got Sea of Legends coming, which I'm really, really looking forward to. Mm. But Sea of Legends has already been out. I've got the second edition of Quad Heroes coming at some point, which should make this year, but my, my guess is, is it'll be touch and go, which is probably like Cubito's gone large. And like kind of, again, you've got big rolling, beautifully painted little cubes running around little video game simulation type zones and playing about and stuff and so on. And that, that's been a well-received first game. The second version of that is coming out eventually at some point this year. But that, again, it's, it's been around before. So I just haven't played it. So those, I think, are the... And I missed off the Shasen sequel as well for that reason, Shasen Azadi, the, yeah. uh, that one. And, and because it, it, there's a thing there already. So it's, it's a tricky one, but there's just so much exciting stuff coming there up. There is. There's so much coming up this year. And just like there's so many board games coming out this year, we're hoping to bring you some really exciting episodes this year. We've got a lot of really fantastic guests lined up for the rest of the year as well. Some really great games that we're wanting to talk to you about. So we mentioned a couple of them like the Fox Experiment and Heat. We're really excited to be continuing the podcast this year. We want to say thank you so much to everybody who's been supporting us and listening 
we actually made the top five list of podcasts about board games in Australia last year, which I was super surprised about. But yeah, thanks guys. That's because of everyone who's listening. And really, Chris and I just do this because we like talking about board games. And we'll carry on doing it because we like talking about board games. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. So we keep it going. I've just realized something as well. I have to kind of mention this. I've just been going on about how much I dislike dragons. And I was having this good conversation before. And every now and again, I look and I realize, because I do actually have a large plastic dragon on my windowsill, which to anyone who was in my room and say, you dislike dragons, like, well, why have you got this dragon on your windowsill? And I have this dragon here, but this dragon's special. He's called Snagger and was bought by my son, <laughs> age three or something, in an airport where he went, I want that, and then immediately named it Snagger, and then eventually grew out of it because he had so many toys with silly names. And like, you know, he's 16 and a half now, so he sort of was going to throw Snagger in the bin. So I stole Snagger because it's quite cool. But he basically, he's got a kind of like punk rock, <laughs> angry dragon look to him. Um, <laughs> he is just a very a, cool dragon. He's a very cool dragon. So I've kept him. So he is the exception to my rule about being kind of like just a little bit <laughs> meh about dragons because that's Snagger and Snagger's different. So if, you, if you're in my house and you basically go, I thought he didn't like dragons, Snagger is, is, is special. Still really not a, not a dragon person, but you know, you've got to make exceptions where they can. I think you're allowed to have one exception to the rule, Chris. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And we can't wait to come back to you with more later on in the year. Take care. Bye.